According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are in Proverbs chapter 2 this morning. Proverbs chapter 2, dealing with uh, verses 6 through 11. And then we will wrap that up and move on to uh, verses 12 through 20. God is spirit. He must be worshipped in spirit and in truth in preparation for the study of the Word of God today. Let's take a moment for silent prayer to humble our hearts, to prepare in humility to receive the Word implanted that's able to save our souls. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we do rejoice in your faithfulness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy as it unfolds, as it's renewed day by day. We thank you, Father, for this day and for the Word of God. Who are we that we should be brought into your counsel, that we should be invited into your wisdom? And yet, Father, you have made yourself known to each one of us. And I thank you for that privilege. I thank you for that great responsibility. And I ask, Father, that we might live accordingly to the great trust you've placed in us that is trusting us with your truth. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, here in Proverbs chapter 2, we start with the admonishment in verse 1. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you. Uh, We had similar admonishments in chapter 1 where they were given in terms of a command. Hear, my son, your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. So you can order your children to pay attention. You can command that they study the Bible. You can uh, exercise your parental authority and insist upon it. However, as we see in chapter 2, it comes down to a great big if. If you will receive my words, and if you will treasure my commandments within you. And the point is this, parents can urge and admonish, but ultimately children must personally adopt the humble attitude to receive the word implanted. And this is true not just for your biological children, but it's true for the, uh, the church children that you have, the members of your flock and whatnot, is that the opportunity to study the Word of God is presented, but it must be volitionally exercised. It must be volitionally embraced. And uh, each believer must personally adopt the humble attitude to receive the Word implanted. Now, secondly, as we move on, there are a lot of subpoints and other details there, but as we move on to verse 6, we get to main point 2. As it says, for the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, and he preserves the way of his godly ones. What we learn in verses 6 through 11 is that believers fellowship with the Lord through the word of his mouth. It is a very personal word. It's coming from his mouth to our ears. It is a spoken word, and we must be within earshot to hear that spoken word. And we must be close enough in fellowship in order for his word to do what it's designed to do. Here's what the word does. Oh, it does any number of things, okay? But keep in mind, as we look at the subpoints now, that uh, never forget that the word from his mouth is a piercing sword, all right? The word from his mouth is going to pierce. It's going to uh, cut as deep as it needs to in order to accomplish what it's intended to do. 
as Hebrews 4.12 says, that it pierces to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is a critical judge of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Several places in Revelation also, Revelation 1.16, Revelation 2.12 and 16, Revelation 19.15, where the sword of his mouth is the primary weapon that he employs, not only in the church age, but coming in the tribulation to uh, ensure his victory at uh, at the battle of Armageddon. We notice that all the work of this passage is God's. And however, the uh, settings for our our settings, all right? So the actions of this passage under subpoint B, the actions of this passage are God's actions, shielding, guarding, preserving. It's what he does. And it's what he does through his word. Shielding. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Guarding. Guarding the paths of justice. Preserving, as it says, preserving the way of his godly ones. Those are all God's activities. And they are all God's activities that he accomplishes through the agency of his word going forth. And believers humbling themselves under that word, receiving that word, embracing that word. If uh, if you're not a disciple of the word of God, uh, don't be surprised if the shielding, guarding, and preserving is uh, a bit impaired then because you are not availing yourself of the mechanism by which the shielding, guarding, and preserving is promised. The settings for these actions are our settings. That is, our paths, our way, and every good course. We see it's the path of justice. It's the way of his godly ones. And then it says every good course. Equity in every good course there in Proverbs 2.9. It's another uh, caveat that I think we need to be aware of. If we depart from God's path, if we depart from the way of wisdom, if we depart from every good course, if we decide to just venture out there in carnality and do whatever you know the blazes we expect to do, well then, guess what? Those aren't the courses, the pathways, and the, uh, the ways that uh, God has promised to shield and to guard and to preserve. So don't feel like... Uh, you know, there you are, and, and uh, wondering why God hasn't shielded you, guarded you, and preserved you. Well, look what path you're on, look what way you're on, and look what the promise states in Proverbs chapter 2. Now, the bulk of this impact comes when we watch what it does, the results of all this. Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity in every good course. Verse 10, for wisdom will enter your heart. Here is the deeper understanding of what's really happening. Wisdom will enter your heart. And knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you. There is activity that takes place. The Word of God will do its work. And this is sub-point C. When the Word enters your heart, it lives there and it achieves many things. When the Word of God enters your heart, it lives there and it achieves many things. It is an active agent. Again, the Word of God is alive and powerful. And you are taking a living, powerful thing into your soul, into your very heart. That's the the core of your being, your innermost being, Scripture describes it. I believe that that core heart, is. when I diagram it, is is that dividing asunder of soul and spirit. You can envision a a, a peach with a pit, right? Or some kind of a, a sphere or fruit 
And you've got a pit right in the very middle of it. And yes, there's a left lobe and a right lobe. I understand that there's the soul and there's the spirit. And I tend to diagram the inner man that way as a circle with two halves. And you've got the soul half and the spirit half. And then in between is that dividing asunder, that membrane, if you will, of soul and spirit. And in the very core of that, the very center of that division, is the heart. All right, The heart is the innermost being, the core of who we are. Now, this is where the word pierces, and this is where the word has to be treasured. Thy word I have hid where? Not in my spirit, not in my soul, but in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. So the heart is uh, what we're dealing with here. And this is what happens when the Word of God is implanted. The Word of God lives there. It dwells richly there. It stirs up itself there, and it bears fruit from there. It comes from the heart. It proceeds from the heart, as do all the... Uh, the carnal things that we're trying to get rid of and and uh, feed less and less. All right, I think the best corollary to this is First uh, Thessalonians two thirteen. First Thessalonians two thirteen is a principle I learned years and years ago when um, I was still in training and and uh, Ralph had assigned. Uh, he had assigned uh, Philemon. I had to teach Philemon verse by verse. And then he signed Jude. And I taught Jude first, verse by verse, both of which are very small books, <laughs> right? About 25 verses each, one chapter. And then uh, he gave me an option. He said, well, what, what book do you want to teach next? He says, pick a book. Make it longer than a chapter. So I picked First Thessalonians. And he approved and said, that's a good book. Go ahead. And so I ended up teaching First Thessalonians. And in the process of this, in fact, that's what I was wrapping up when I became pastor. So I moved on and taught Second Thessalonians, first book as, uh, as pastor. But in any event, First Thessalonians 2.13, this really hit me at that time, and it stuck with me ever since. It says, For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the Word of God. Now pay attention, because this last part is, is huge. Notice, the Word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. The Word of God has work to do, and it does that work in you, but you must first receive it from Him, receive it humbly as from God, not from man, and receive it by faith. Because if the Word is not united by faith, it won't profit you. All right, But in you who believe, it's not in you who are saved, not in you who received eternal life back in 1973, you who right now, today, presently, are walking by faith. Presently, you are now in a believing uh, condition. You who presently are believing or walking by faith. If you need any additional work on that, then... Uh, Simply add it to uh, toss in there Hebrews 4.2 in addition to, uh, in combination with 1 Thessalonians 2.13. And you'll notice the word of God will not profit you without faith. Hebrews 4.2, indeed we have had good news preached to us just as they also, but the word which they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. All right, this is why it's so key. We have to be here. We must be in fellowship. Obviously, if you're not in fellowship, where's the faith? The fruit of the Spirit is faith. You've got to be in fellowship. You've got to be walking by faith, not by sight. You've got to be accepting what God is providing you by 
faith, trusting in the one who is speaking, trusting in the faithfulness of God who has sent forth his word. So, um, yeah, that's a marvelous passage. Our Hebrews 4.2, uh, helping to give that, uh, that uh, greater understanding of 1 Thessalonians 2.13, where we receive the word in faith. Now, what are some of the things that the word does? The word of God is in you. The word of God is a lie. The word of God will do things. And uh, we've been breaking this down. An active and powerful word is effective for everything God designs it for. What can it do? Everything. What can it not do? <laughs> all right? It accomplishes all that God designs. As Isaiah 55:11 says, it will not return void without accomplishing the purpose for which I sent it. And so it is therefore as alive and powerful and sufficient as the very omnipotence of God and everything that God does. The active and powerful Word of God is effective for everything God designs. shouldn't come as a surprise to us because God does everything through His spoken Word. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let there be, and there was. Everything God's done is through that spoken Word. Same thing when the Word of God goes forth into us. When God sends a message to each one of us, it's His spoken Word, and we need to have ears to hear. All right, so we have Hebrews 4.12. It's a critical judge of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It pierces, it hurts, it exposes things. Our thoughts are laid bare, and the Word is marvelous at doing that. Jeremiah 5.14 and Jeremiah 23.29 which I am not presently recalling. Jeremiah 5.14 ah, Therefore thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, because you have spoken this word, behold, I am making my words in your mouth fire, and this people would, and it will consume them. <laughs> right? The Bible uses all these metaphors, all these images, and it gets your attention, doesn't it? When the word of God's going forth, what if he turns that word into fire and you into wood? Okay, this isn't this isn't a, a ditty on the playground, right? Little kids on the playground used to go, uh, "I'm made of rubber, you're made of glue. Whatever you say bounces off of me and sticks to you." All right, great. Okay, fun little children's ditty. Isn't that cute? Isn't that clever? Okay, not a not a bit of truth to any of it because the words do hurt and so forth. You just convince yourself they don't, but. This passage, okay, is not a silly children's ditty. This passage is real. When God says he's going to turn the word into a fire and he's going to turn the people into, into timber or into uh, wood, that means that the word's going to go and it's going to hurt. It's going to burn. It's going to consume. It's not going to be a pleasant message. That's how alive and powerful the spoken word is. Jeremiah twenty three twenty nine. another illustration of this jeremiah 23 29 <clears throat> is not my word like fire declares the lord and like a hammer which shatters a rock <laughs> so whether it's the sword or it's the fire or it's the hammer or it's the axe uh, whatever it is all right or the saw we have axe and saw in uh, back in 
Jeremiah chapter 4 um, or 5. Um, no, 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 Isaiah chapter 10, where we were uh, last Sunday, the axe and the saw. Okay, We can't boast over what God's doing in it. We're just tools in his hand. All right, whichever the metaphor is, it, the word itself is active. The word itself does its work, and it does it without fail. If you expect that that word's going to fall short or that word's going to fail or that word's going to somehow not achieve everything, then you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. He has never once disappointed his heavenly Father. He has never once failed to achieve every single thing that God the Father has assigned for him to do. The idea that the word can't get it done is, 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 is abhorrent. It's anathema to our way of thinking. Of course the word can get it done. The word has, is, is dedicated from Alpha to Omega to achieving the good pleasure of God the Father. Of course the word's going to get it done. Secondly, the word of the gospel. Of course, it's a subset of the word in general, but specifically, the word of the gospel is a particularly active and powerful agent. It is so alive, it is so powerful, that sometimes it can haunt the unbeliever for decades. <laughs> a gospel that had been preached to them years and years and years ago can come alive at just the right moment, can come alive here and there and occasionally, can always be that convicting ministry of God the Holy Spirit and that active and living ministry of Jesus Christ Himself as the living Word is alive. The Word of the Gospel is a particularly active and powerful agent. That's why Paul said he's not ashamed of it in Romans 1.16. That's why we see that it does certain things in Colossians 1, verses 5 and 6. That's why Paul was uh, encouraged that the gospel message contained in the Scriptures, 2 Timothy 3.15, that even a child who's too young to understand a whole lot of things can be grounded in the Scriptures from his childhood, and in that process, the living gospel can indeed bear some amazing fruit. 2 Timothy 3.15 on that level. Thirdly, one significant effect of the Word of God is our experiential sanctification. Our experiential sanctification. This is an effect of the Word of God, as it says, sanctify them in the truth. Thy Word is truth. John 17, verse 17 and verse 19. I think of this as the preventative inoculation that hinders us, that when we allow it to do this kind of work, it will keep us from needing to use 1 John 1.9. <laughs> All right? We won't have to use the post-sin remedy if we use the pre-sin prevention methods, including our experiential sanctification as the Word of God does this. John 17, verse 17 and verse 19. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Now this is a dative, it could be in the sphere of, can also be instrumental by means of, or it could actually be both, in the sphere of and by means of, as we understand the dative uh, case here in the Greek. Sanctify them in the truth, by the truth, instrumentally and locatively. Thy word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in or by truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone. This is not limited to the twelve apostles. 
This is not an apostolic privilege or prerogative that's limited to uh, the gift or ministry of apostles. He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. This is a, a positional truth blessing for the body of Christ. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. This is an abiding privilege for the body of Christ for the church age. All right, for not just the 12, starts with the 12, but for all the apostles and ultimately for all believers in the church age. For everyone that gets saved, as, as it says, who believe in me through their word, who come to faith in Christ by means of a New Testament gospel church message. Acts 20 and verse 32, to be sanctified in the truth. Acts 20 and verse 32. This is why uh, an apostle can be confident when he leaves town or a pastor can be confident when uh, he's, his flock departs the church building or a parent can be confident when their child leaves home or uh, any number of other illustrations that you might come up with. All right, This is Paul's farewell message. He's... Uh, Fairly certain here, he says that you will no longer see my face. That this may be his final face-to-face visit with the uh, elders of, of Ephesus. And uh, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. He says, be on the alert, in verse 31, remembering that night and day, for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. I really would like to know what his teaching schedule was like in, in Ephesus. <laughs> Night and day, is that simply idiomatic for nonstop, or is it to be understood literally? Is it to be understood as in terms of daytime teaching and evening teaching? How did that work on a daily basis? But in any event, then he says, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Notice the active agent of this verse. The word of his grace, which, it's the word that does the work. The word of his grace is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The word of God is what does this. It's able to do this. It is able. Are we going to receive it in humility? Are we going to receive it in faith? Are we going to unite the word of God in faith? So that what it is able to do, it actually will do edify, build, that is, build you up, and give presently in time an experiential reality of what our eternal inheritance actually is. We should be exercising that inheritance right here, right now. We have the down payment of it. We have the deposit of it, the earnest of it through the Holy Spirit. Why are we not living now in the, in the reality of our eternal inheritance? We should be. Taking part there. The Word of God will allow us to do so through our experiential sanctification. So the Word of God comes alive if we let it. The Word of God comes alive if we respond by means of faith. The Word of God sanctifies us. All right? And so here's a temptation, and the temptation is whatever. Steal this, tell that lie, murder that person, fornicate over here. Whatever the temptation happens to be, all right? If the Word of God is richly dwelling within you, it will sanctify you. The Scriptures will come alive and remind you, as it did for Christ in the temptation, uh, the wilderness temptations. 
All right, here's the temptation. The scripture comes to your heart, says, thou shalt not steal. All right, or the scripture comes to your heart that says, this is the will of God for you, your sanctification. Or some scripture comes alive and it saves you, it rescues you. Again, James 1, uh, we had it on the previous slide, James 1, where it says, in humility receive the word of God implanted, which is able to save your soul. Okay. Now, <laughs> remember though, just because it's able to, don't think that it will automatically do so should you grieve, quench, and resist the Holy Spirit. Should you choose to not listen to the, uh, the imperative is still listen, right? If you choose to not listen to the Word of God, if you choose to substitute your will for His will, if you substitute the creature for the Creator, yeah, you can dampen that Word. It will not save you. God will honor your volition. You can reject his word and God will very faithfully manifest his faithfulness (laughs) by uh, manifesting the consequences for what happens when a child ignores the word. All right. God's faithful either way. I would much rather have him faithful in our blessing rather than faithful in our discipline. You know, just think back to your last three sins, your last four sins, whatever. Probably even more than that. Maybe your last dozen sins, okay? Just think back. I can't think of a single one where I did not know the Scripture that told me not to do that, right? You know? Just think about it. Every sin you do, you could find a Scripture. You already know the Scripture that says don't do that. That's why you've identified it as a sin. That's why you confessed it to get back in fellowship. Because you know the truth. The truth is in you. The Word of God is alive in you. Finally, this one's kind of general, but I think it's significant. Point four. Another effect is personal lifestyle adjustments based upon doctrinal convictions. Another effect of the Word living in you is that you will start to make personal lifestyle adjustments based upon doctrinal convictions. Acts chapter 19, verses 17 through 20. Another effect of the living and powerful Word of God residing within you, dwelling richly within you, is that you will start to make personal lifestyle adjustments based upon doctrinal convictions. Stan Newton tells me that when he got to Washington State, his first church out of seminary, he graduates from Dallas Theological Seminary, he moves his family up to Washington State, land of the champion pagans on earth, and he takes a church, and uh, first thing he starts to learn within his first month of being the pastor of that church is, and I don't know how many, what he had, 30 families, 40 families, something like that, and um more than half weren't married. More than half were just cohabitating type circumstances. All right? More than half. I want to say like 60, 75%, a monster number. He couldn't believe it. He was just in, in shock. He said, well, you know, not the Bible belt up there, Stan. You know? and, and those are the churchgoers. All right? <laughs> those are the churchgoers. You know, be happy that they're in your flock. You know? And so what does he do? Okay, well, starts teaching the Word of God. Starts letting the Word of God do the work. Starts doing and, and 
You know, Stan, I think, has, has a gentleness and a patience in a way that, that I probably would have blown the whole thing up and gone in there all, whatever, blunt and hard-headed hard, you know, headed and whatever. Um, but that's why God didn't put me up there. <laughs> he put Stan Newton up there. But you let the Word of God do its work. Okay, we got issues here as well. And the Word of God, guess what? It does the work here too. The Word of God does the work here too. And be- believers start to make personal lifestyle adjustments. Now, in Acts 19, we got this story. And this is only an illustration. It's not doesn't by any means limit the scope of, of this principle. But Acts 19, verses 17 through 20. You may decide that after you become saved and after you start growing in the Word that you probably have to stop worshiping Satan and and uh, exercising your, your previous witchcraft um, endeavors. All right, That's the kind of thing that, that needs to go uh, when you name the name of Christ and when you start walking the, the sanctified walk of, of truth. But in Acts 19, we've got this... Uh, episode here happens at Ephesus and uh, the uh, one of the funnier passages I laugh every time I read this uh, Paul's doing all these miracles here, he was doing so many in fact that they started to take handkerchiefs and aprons and other things that he'd been carrying around and, and started um, using those to heal the sick and cast out demons and then the competition comes in, these Jewish exorcists. And remember, these are the guys that, that Jesus rebuked. They were accusing him of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub. And he said, well, who do your sons use when they, when they cast out demons? And then it's the, the Jewish exorcists that he was rebuking there based on Pharisee traditions. But here they are, and they went from place to place attempting to name over those who had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Okay, They weren't believers in Jesus, but they thought that they could use the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches uh, as part of their incantation, part of their spell casting, part of uh, what they would do to name over, uh, to name over, attempting to name over. Anyway, some of the pagan ideas for how to expel a demon is to either name the demon or name a name that has sovereignty over the demon in uh, so forth. Anyway, there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? <laughs> and uh, who do you think you are? And so the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them. He whooped on all seven, single-handedly. And this, uh, this I'm really hoping this is on the deleted scenes DVD when we get to heaven. I want to I watch this. Um, overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. I mean, that must have really been a whooping. All right. Now, this is the context for what we're headed to this morning. Um, This became known to all, both Jews and Greeks who lived in Ephesus, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Clearly, having an apostle in residence in Ephesus was was, uh, having impact in the uh, spirit realm. And so many of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found 50,000 pieces 
of silver. This is not a cheap deal, all right? This is a significant expense. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing, okay? Now, as a pattern, as a pattern, that's, that's just one particular for instance because of the nature of where, what they were dealing with and whatnot in, in Ephesus. Apply the principle, though, beyond that. Beyond Maybe it's not witchcraft. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's something else that had been a practice before you were saved or something else. In Corinth, by the way, it was, it was the, the fornication going on because of the temple to Aphrodite, the, the thousand priestesses that were in, uh, in uh, uh, occupation there in that temple. And, uh, and so we have the particular messages there in 1 Corinthians as far as how the sanctifying work of the Word of God comes alive. But whatever it is, personal lifestyle adjustments, you grow in faith, you grow in grace and knowledge, you start to think, you know what? Um, I really don't believe it's honoring to Jesus Christ or pleasing to God the Father for me to continue in this, uh, you know, um, my present... Uh, my present occupation as a as a hitman assassin um, that probably ought to ought to find a new line of work okay or or what have you okay whatever the case may be i'm trying to find some outrageous ludicrous examples so that no one's offended by if i happen to mention something that maybe you used to do all right <laughs> Whatever the case, but we've had strippers come in here and realize, you know what, this this probably isn't, I shouldn't be doing this. I should find a different way of life. Yeah, glad the word of God's working. Okay, and this is what this is what um, frees us as a grace ministry that we don't have to start poking into people's business and and being all legalistic about whatever and and following them around and checking up on how they dress or what they drink or or what they're doing. You know, we let the Word of God do that. The Word of God does it far better than any of us ever would and doesn't have all the hang-ups and pride and guilt and all the other human weaknesses that that turns our application sometimes into a carnal um, activity. Let the Word of God do the work. Let it do the work. Point D, the Psalm 119 author is a great illustration for how the Word of God lives within the believer. And I'm not going to take an entire hour to reteach Psalm 119, but there is a notebook in the hallway and um, MP3 files. In fact, there's a disc out there as well if you want to take all the audio messages or go get them off the website. Um, Just a quick glance, though, and it should be easy to spot. It's practically every verse of the 176 verses of this chapter. And the bulk of them are talking about what the Word of God is doing for this young man. The Psalm 119 author is a great illustration for how the Word of God lives within the believer. Okay, it's not a new test, not limited to the New Testament. It's very valid in the Old Testament, as we saw. I mean, just our text today, Psalm uh, Proverbs two. The Word of God will do these things. It will guard you, shield you, preserve you. The Word of God will enter into your heart. The, his precepts will be pleasant to your soul. The Word of God does things, always has, always will. And the psalmist recognized this. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
Thou shalt delight in your statutes. So many of these, as you turn, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. I love that. Psalm 119, verse 24. Your testimonies also are my delight. They are my counselors. <laughs> People ask, do you do, do you counsel? Do you do counseling? Oh, I got something even better. All right. I got something even better. You don't have to pay $120 per billable hour for this either. Okay. You can take it in. You can take it in, freely receive, receive it to dwell richly within you and uh, enjoy that 24-7 counseling. <laughs> enjoy that around-the-clock counseling. Let the Word of God dwell richly night and day. Sometimes it'll be in the evening hours, meditating in the night watches, all the things that your Word does. Turn my eyes from looking at vanity. Revive me in your ways. Let the Word of God do that. You got a problem with where your eyes are looking? Let the Word of God take control of your eyes. Point them where they should be looking. Your statutes are my songs, verse 54. Or how about um, verse 55 or 53? Burning indignation has seized me. Because of the wicked who forsake your law. Why is that? <laughs> it happened with Jesus. Zeal for the Father's house consumed him. Burning indignation has seized him. The, the psalmist here in 119.53. Your statutes are my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. Oh, there's so much here that the Word does. Verse 62, at midnight I shall rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous ordinances. You never know. When, when, when is that spark going to pop into your head? When is that thought? When is that rebuke? When is that encouragement? Precisely when he designs for it to do. All right, well, like I said, we could read all of, uh, all of Psalm 119 here. But it does these things. You can find all the active work of the Word of God and what it does, how it comes alive, how it shapes our thinking. All right. Point three. Temporal deliverance. If we are in this kind of fellowship state, there's going to be a result. There's going to be a consequence. And that consequence is going to come about through a temporal deliverance. This is the, this is the cart, okay? We, we, we want to make sure we don't put the cart before the horse. All of that internal stuff, the fellowship with the Lord, the fellowship with the Father, the, the internal benefit to our soul, the internal benefit to our thinking, the, um, all that internal stuff, that's the horse. Okay, That's what has to come first. And then the outworking of that, the practical of that, the, the, uh, the rescue, the externals, it follows, okay? It follows. But this is what everybody wants to shove up front. This is what, um, this is, uh, you know, the, the wrong approach to wisdom, the wrong approach to the Word of God. That, uh, that just, uh, you know, if we, if we want to benefit in temporal life, okay, but that's a side effect. That's a consequence. That's an extension of benefiting in spiritual life, right? 
We want, uh, sure, we want to have effects in time. We want to be guarded against the, the, the wicked men. We want to be guarded against the, the strange woman, the, the characters that are in this chapter. We Clearly, we don't want to be seduced by the strange woman and led into a life of fornication and sin. We don't want to have the, the damaging consequences of that, kind of, uh, of that kind of dissipation or that kind of life um, or the, the way of wickedness that, uh, that this wicked man will take us into. Obviously. But that is secondarily to the fellowship we have in our soul through his word. Let's keep the horse where the horse belongs and the cart where the cart belongs. And, and if you think there's a, just a shortcut where we don't have to pay attention to that internal spiritual stuff, we can just glean a, a very practical uh, how to live my life kind of thing, well then you've missed the whole point. You can't turn the Bible into you know helpful hints from Dear Abby or turn the Bible into some kind of... a uh, secular, um, you know, whatever, chicken soup for whatever, okay? You got to let the Word of God do the work internally. And because guess what? Maybe this external stuff won't happen. Maybe you won't have a rescue. Are you still going to stay faithful to the Lord? Maybe He's going to put you into more affliction. Maybe what you were anticipating might be a change of conditions and circumstances, improve, whatever. Maybe that doesn't even happen. That's not even the point. All right. Let the Word of God do the work. It will rescue you. It will save you if you let it. It, it is able to save your soul, James 1.21. It is able to rescue. So now here's the consequences. We see the uh, wisdom will enter your heart. See, so much of this is internal. Okay, he's a shield, guarding, preserving. So there's defense, I, I'm stable. And then it says you will discern righteousness and justice, equity in every good course. Wisdom will enter your heart. Knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. That's internal. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you. Now here's the results in time and in space. To deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things from those who leave the paths of right, uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, to th- from those who delight in doing evil and rejoice in the perversity of evil, whose paths are crooked, who are devious in their ways. And this is the male side of things. The female side of things starts in verse 16. To deliver you from the strange woman from the adulteress who flatters with her words. Okay, So we start to see in these verses now, here's the practical. Here is the outworking in, in space and time. Here's the external benefits of what happens when the internal is oriented properly. That uh, the peer pressure of what these sinners are doing, you don't get on board with them. You don't join in what they're doing. Temporal deliverance is the consequence of spiritual fellowship in the Word of God. It's more than just not doing the wrong thing. It's not doing the wrong thing for the right reasons. Okay? Because your very thinking is being molded into his thinking. You're not, you're not doing the wrong thing because you're doing the right thing, because you're fellowshipping with the Father, you're fellowshipping with the Son, you're embracing your new nature in Christ, you are, you are um, fixing your eyes on him. You know, if, if you're just not 
See, there's no credit to not doing the wrong thing if the only reason you didn't do the wrong thing is, is, is another wrong reason, all right? It's just whatever. Um, okay, you didn't, you didn't do it, but you wanted to. <laughs> you thought about it. You wanted to. You did it in your heart. Uh, the only reason you didn't do it is because of whatever. Okay, so great. You did not commit the overt sin. That's one last thing you've got to confess. But you've got to confess the mental sin. And you're still carnal. Now, this crooked and perverse generation, look at this crowd, the way of evil, okay? It's not just one particular sin. It's not just one carnal moment, one single act of missing the mark, all right? Because everybody sins. We all sin in many ways, but... We, want to, we don't want to make those uh, sins the, the lifestyle, the pattern, the habitual way of living. That's why we keep short accounts. We confess immediately. We maximize our time in fellowship. We minimize our time out of fellowship. Because the longer we prolong that darkness, it becomes habitual. It becomes a way, a course, and a path. So from the, uh, to deliver you from the way of evil from those who leave the paths of uprightness to uh, walk in the ways of darkness. Do you see the continual nature of this? The habitual nature of this? The pattern. This is the habit of some. So it's so, it's so much bigger than just a single act. All right, subpoint A. We cannot be a testimony to our crooked and perverse generation if we are participating in their unfruitful deeds of darkness. We cannot be a testimony to our crooked and perverse generation if we are participating in their unfruitful deeds of darkness. What we're looking at here in verses 12 through 15 is repeated in the New Testament again and again and again. And it's not phrased in such a way as um, legalism. Nothing in Proverbs, nothing in Deuteronomy, nothing in Philippians, nothing in Ephesians, nothing in the scripture teaches morality as a legalistic standard. Teaches morality, biblical morality as some kind of a standard whereby we earn favor, whereby we we earn God's happiness. <laughs> we we prove that we're good little Christians and we're making our God happy and He He gives us good things, all right, and that we're better than the next guy if He doesn't do it quite as good as we do at, at being a good little Christian, all right? No legalism at all. In every one of these passages, the recognition is the way that we conduct our lives is the way that we are thinking, shaped by the Word of God. The way the Word of God shapes who we are, shapes how we think, shapes how our attitudes uh, are, are oriented. It's the outworking of our spiritual faith that then finds an external expression in how we now live. And it just, it's, it's, it's uh, to me, tragic that the Christian way of life is reduced to something on par with um, self-help books (laughs) and 
and world phony religions and all of these uh, demonic mechanisms to turn over a new leaf and become a better person. And all of the defiant ways that the Christopher Hitchens crowd tries to talk themselves into the fact that atheists can be moral people. Atheists can be good people. That You don't need Christianity to be moral. All right. And they even, uh, you know, morality itself as a vanilla term, a generic term. As if, you know, Christian morality or biblical morality is, is on par with Buddhist morality or Muslim morality or uh, Mormon morality or uh, 12-step uh, recovering alcoholic morality or whatever. They find all these different ways and it's just, we're all good. We're all good. We're all following the golden rule. Wait a minute, that's our rule. All right, we're all, <laughs> you know, we're picking and choosing what scriptures they want when it's convenient and ignoring all the other ones they don't want because that's not convenient in their particular philosophy. But diminishing the Christian way of life to a philosophy, to a moral philosophy. The Christian way of life is not a moral philosophy. It is not. Biblical Christianity is not, uh, Dan's not here today to remind me, how does this work? A therapeutic moral, I forget the term now. It's, it's It's a good term. And it's being used now in evangelical circles but but too many christians approach biblical christianity as if it's a if it's a, a therapeutic moral uh conscience test or something okay forgetting the expression oh well um it's not we're not following a moral philosophy and you can't compare what we're doing to what anybody else on this planet is doing because we are in christ and they're not. They're in Adam. Or sadly, if they're in Christ and not disciples of Jesus Christ, they're not living in the Word of God, then they're not allowing the Word of God to shape their thinking. They're not being transformed by the renewing of their mind. They're being conformed to this ion, to this age. It's a world of difference. Absolute world of difference. And the sad thing is, is that they are so convinced that they're okay. I'm okay, you're okay, right? They're so convinced that their moral philosophy is making them into good people that they don't understand that being conformed to this age. And conformity to this age, they're gonna if they're not saved to begin with, they're going to the lake of fire. And if they are saved, they're gonna see every single thing they've done under that philosophy burned up as wood, hand, stubble at the judgment seat of Christ. They have done nothing under the filling of the Holy Spirit for the glory of Jesus Christ, for the good pleasure of God the Father. They have done nothing. Zero. They will have no gold, no silver, no precious stones. Nothing. They themselves will be saved and so through fire, but they will have nothing at the judgment seat of Christ. All right. So don't, do not confuse the cart and the horse. Do not confuse the results the consequence of spiritual life fellowship in the Word of God. Spiritual fellowship in the Word of God. All right. Um, Some of these other passages here. Deuteronomy 32. Trying to remember why I put that in there, but that's okay. (laughs) Deuteronomy, oh, I know why. Deuteronomy 32, 5. 
See, we need to recognize that we too, if we're not careful, we can go this way. Give ear, O heavens, and let me speak. This is the song of Moses. Let the ear hear the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, the droplets of the fresh grass, and as the showers of the herb. See, Isaiah wasn't the first prophet to point out that the word of God is like the water that nourishes the earth. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. We're going to see in Proverbs that, that or in, uh, no, 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 Isaiah 11, this coming Sunday, that uh, faithfulness and righteousness are the belt about his waist, about his loins. And this is Yahweh himself, a God of faithfulness and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. They have acted corruptly toward him. They are not his children because of their defect but are a perverse and crooked generation. Do you thus repay the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is not He your Father who has bought you? He has made you. He has established you. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of all generations. Ask your Father. He will inform you. Your elders, they will tell you. Anyway, it goes on. This is a a lengthy song, but just picking up on that crooked and perverse generation in verse 5. That's not why He saved us. That's not why we have fellowship with Him. The fellowship we're to have in His Word should orient us to who He is, what He is. For you and I in the body of Christ, it's even more detailed. We should have fellowship with the Father and with the Son through the empowerment and the dwelling of God the Holy Spirit. This perverse and crooked generation, we should come out from among their midst and be separate. All right, Philippians 2, verse 15 and 16. Philippians 2. Remember, we're to have the attitude that Christ had, to humble ourselves as He humbled Himself. The humility will save you. Because it's in humility you're receiving His Word. It's in His humility that His Word will do its work. And so we should follow that example. Have the attitude in ourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. The attitude of humility. And so it says in verse 12, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. How is He going to do that if you're not in His Word? If you're not dwelling with Him? If you're not fellowshipping with Him and with His Son? Doing all things without grumbling or disputing. How are you going to do that if you're not in fellowship with Him? if you're not occupied with Him, so that you will prove yourselves, demonstrate yourselves, manifest yourselves. If you cannot docimazo yourself, it, it, you, like I say, it's again Romans 12, if you're not renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you may docimazo the perfect will of God, then you're going to be conformed to this world. So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God, above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Notice, among whom you appear as lights in the world. Well, how will you shine as a light when you're as dark as they are? When you're participating in what they're doing? When you are not, um, when you're not letting the Word do its work? Holding fast, notice, the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory. 
holding fast the word of life. If you don't hold fast the word of life, that's the participle there in verse 16 that defines how you can obey verses 14 and 15. Holding fast the word of life. Again, if you're not a disciple living in the word of God, holding fast the word of life, none of this is possible. Best you can do is try to go out there in some kind of a moral philosophy, be a good person, be nice, do good things, but you're joining with a crooked and perverse crowd. Ephesians 5, verses 6 through 12. Going the wrong way. Ephesians is before Philippians. Ephesians 5. Verses uh, 6 through 12. And understand, this is again not a moral philosophy. This is not a legalism. This is not a list of do's and don'ts whereby we earn God's favor. This is the outworking of being His child, of being saved by grace through faith even though we didn't deserve it. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes. Presently, now, not eternally, not someday in the lake of fire, today, presently, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Are we going to be children of light in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation? Are we going to let God's wisdom enter our soul and be pleasant and let Him rescue us from these things? from the evil man and with a perverse mouth, from the strange woman and the flattering eyes. Do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. See, that verse, like all these verses, is putting it in the right order. That's what you used to be. But you're a child of Jesus Christ now. Live that way. Live that way. Conduct an external walk that is consistent with the new realities of who you are. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. We have a dedication. The rest of our life is spent getting to know Him, fellowshipping with Him, learning Him more and more and more. And do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. Now, How do we expose them? Do we expose them by hidden cameras? (laughs) I'm almost out of time. Do we expose them by yelling at them, preaching at them, thumping a Bible, smacking them upside the head? How do we expose them? And they're exposed by the light. That's right. You live your life. You just don't do those things. You shine. All right. You won't have to preach at them. You won't have to smack them upside the head. The Word of God's going to do that. The Holy Spirit's going to convict. All you've got to do is shine. All you've got to do is manifest Christ to this lost and dying world. That sweet aroma of Him. Just shine. <laughs> Before we got started, Ethel was uh, singing a children's song. Now, now I'm about to sing a little children's song, right? This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. All right, well, we'll pick up here next week. Um, next week, is that right, is December 3rd? Yes, we'll be back next week, December 3rd. We will also be here December 10th, all right? But we will not be in class on the 17th, the 24th, or the 31st. All right, so you may want to mark your calendars that uh, we will 
not have class on the 17th, the 24th, or the 31st. No life of Christ. Or life of Christ. No Proverbs on the 17th, the 24th, or the 31st. That's the holiday adjustments for December. Thank you, Father, for this morning. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your faithfulness. We do give you praise and glory, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.